Well, it's a joy to welcome you today and a privilege to be able to speak to you, and I don't take it lightly. And I thank you very much for watching this, whether you're watching to stay up with Sunday school with your class, that's uh, a good thing to do, and I commend you for it. Or whether you are a teacher listening to the audio, and uh, then you're blessed because you don't have to look at my uh, ugly face. But we are together here learning and growing, and I get to share some thoughts with you and hopefully pour some things into your life that will bless you and encourage you and also help you as a teacher to know what in the world I'm talking about and why that I wrote down some of the things that I wrote down. It's always hard to kind of know what other people are thinking, and some things may be more obvious than others, but we want to make sure that it's clear. And that really is the bottom line on everything that we do. It's clarity. And we want to be clear about what we believe, what the Bible says, and we also want to be clear, uh, for those of you who are teachers, clear in our teaching. We want our students to understand what in the world we're talking about. And so uh, as we go through this catechism, we're asking the question today, should those who have faith in Christ seek their salvation through their own works or anywhere else? Okay, I know... We all know the answer to that, don't we? I'm going to answer this, of course, the way that they do, because, again, that's one thing we have to get right. If we don't get the gospel right, nothing else really matters. And so we've got to constantly reinforce that to ourselves and other people. This is of God, and it's by the grace of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And boy, would we ever do some boasting if we ever... Uh, we're able to attain salvation on our own by whatever means. Once we got it, don't you know everybody would be hearing about it and how we would look down on people who hadn't quite achieved what we had achieved. And so God takes care of that by making it something that we didn't achieve and we can't achieve. And so the answer to this is pretty obvious just by the first word, no. And we really shouldn't have to go any further than that, but we will. No, they should not, as everything necessary for salvation is found in Christ. To seek salvation through good works is, now this is really important, a denial that Christ is the only Redeemer and Savior. A denial that Christ is the, let's emphasize this word, only Redeemer and Savior. And hopefully uh, we'll get to talk about that uh, and make it more clear. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified, remember that word, just as if I'd never sinned, by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also, okay, now that's important because he's talking about justification. What do you tell a lost person? The only way you can get right with God is by faith in what Christ has done, right? Now, notice he goes on to say, and we also. That's important because that gives us a clue that now he's talking to save people, to the us in this verse, okay? So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. 
because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Hey, Paul, don't we already know that? Why are you belaboring that point? And Paul would say, because I'm not writing it, the Holy Spirit is, and the Holy Spirit is belaboring this point. So whenever you find yourself going, oh yeah, we know it, salvation is by grace and not of works. Why do we have to hear that again? Haven't we heard that enough? Well, we ought to hear it at least as much as the Holy Spirit brings it up in the Word of God. And how often is it brought up in the Word of God? And Paul is telling us here, it's not just a doctrine for the lost, even though that is what they need to hear. This is something that we as believers, as saved people who have put our faith in Christ, we need to be reminded of it all the time. You never outgrow your need for the gospel. You never outgrow your need for the simple truths of salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that he is the only savior is extremely important. Now, where we're going to go with this is to Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. So go ahead and turn there in your Bible, Titus 3, 4 through 6. Uh, it's very important. And I'm going to approach this from this standpoint. I hear people say all the time about somebody else, well, at least they're in church. I don't care where they go as long as they go. Um, check that. You probably ought to care where they go because there's a lot of junk out there. There's a lot of false teaching that's out there. There's a lot of cults out there. And so if uh, I took the approach and I said about one of my children, well, as long as they go to church, I don't care where they go. Would that be true for a Mormon church? Would that be true? Would I be happy if they're in a Roman Catholic church or a church of Christ or something like that? What about a liberal church? What about one of the cults that call themselves a church like Mormons do? Uh, it does matter where you go to church because it matters what you believe and it matters what you hear and it matters what you associate yourself with. Now, I'm thankful we're not the only church and I don't mean to imply that, but... Um, there are some places that I just couldn't go. And there are some groups I could not fellowship with because uh, they teach falsehoods. I uh, am going to approach this not so much from the standpoint of do we believe that works save, but here's, here's the problem a lot of us face, okay? If I were to talk to a Church of Christ minister he would tell me that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, check that one off. We're good. He would tell me that Jesus died on the cross because of sins. Check that off. We're good. We agree on that. He would even tell me that Jesus arose from the dead on the third day. Well, check that off. Hallelujah, boy, isn't this great? But as we get deeper into what he believes about the gospel... He would tell me that he believes that you cannot go to heaven unless you trust Jesus and are baptized. Well, now all of a sudden we've got a huge problem because we've added something human, something works-oriented onto the gospel. And that's where I think we stumble so many times. There's another group, 
United Pentecostal, not Pentecostal holiness, but United Pentecostal, and they don't believe in the Trinity. That's the one thing that they're off on. They're a cult. And secondly, they also say that the evidence of salvation is speaking in tongues. And so they, again, tie it to something more than what Jesus has done. They tie it to something that we do. John MacArthur met with the leaders of the Mormon church, and uh, he presented to them the gospel of grace. And one of the high-up leaders summed up their meeting by saying, isn't it gracious of God to allow us to work for our salvation? to earn our salvation. Most religions believe in salvation by works, but some that would identify themselves as Christian religions, they mess things up because they add something to the gospel. It's not just the pure gospel of grace through faith. It's not just a pure gospel of what did Jesus do for us. It's Jesus plus something, Jesus plus something that we have to do. And uh, that is completely and totally heretical and a perversion of the gospel. So it does matter. And when you have uh, friends and neighbors, relatives and others, um, I've got a whole group in my family that are Seventh-day Adventists. Do they believe that Jesus died on the cross? Yeah, they sure do. Do they believe in prayer? Yeah, they sure do. Um, do they believe that uh, we need to read the Bible? Yeah, they sure do. But they add other things onto it. You also have to keep Old Testament law, dietary laws. And so if you eat ham, you're not going to heaven. And things like that that they have. What, what's going on here? Is that okay? Are they just a little off? Or are they dead wrong in terms of the gospel? Well, that's what we're going to attempt to um, answer today in this. We all agree there is no salvation by works. But what about those who say you have to have faith plus some works? Faith plus something else. Jesus plus something else. Well, let's go. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. And let's make this point. Number one. Jesus alone is the way to enter into a relationship with the Father. Okay, Jesus alone is the way to enter into a relationship with the Father. It's not through church. It's not through morality. It's not in religion. It's not in charitable deeds. It's not, I mean, I think we all are on the same page on that. And here's the scripture, Titus 3, 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. We'll just look at that point, or th that number. Uh, what am I trying to say? We'll just look at those words out of that verse for this first point. Because we want to make sure that if we're right, and we are, that salvation comes only because of the loving kindness of God, then, then we have to make everything else consistent with that this loving kindness of God. And notice that it doesn't happen apart from an appearance. Now, there are two ways that we can look at this idea of the appearance of God. First of all, I think it means his incarnation. That had Jesus not come in flesh so that he could live a perfect life and then die for us, 
then we wouldn't even be talking about this because there would be no salvation. So the plan of God has always been to send the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus, to earth in flesh and that he would die on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. In fact, uh, the apostle John says in the book of Revelation that he looked and saw him as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It's always been that way, and that was always in the mind of God. It wasn't a plan B or anything like that, always in the mind of God. And as we've said before, Old Testament believers, when they offered their sacrifices, they were looking ahead to the cross. We look back to the cross, but it always is centered on the cross. And uh, the cross is where Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, died. And he made an appearance here on earth, didn't he? He was born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger, and he was on the scene in his earthly ministry. He made an appearance. And John the baptizer says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He made an appearance after his resurrection when he showed up and told the women, go tell Peter and the disciples that I'm no longer dead, but I am alive. And he made an appearance to the disciples. He made an appearance in the um, ascension into the Holy of Holies that is in heaven, the true temple, the true place, and offered his own blood as a sacrifice and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. And he's going to make another appearance when he splits the eastern sky and he comes down to the earth and shocks the daylights out of all of them. So that's one thing. You can think about his coming in flesh as the appearance Paul is talking about. And I think that's accurate. But I also want you to think about the fact that you got saved when the Lord made an appearance in your life. And you may not have really been aware of him. You may not have even believed in him before you were saved. But when you were saved, you did business with God. God, the Holy Spirit, showed up in your life and did a work in you to convict you of your sins, give you faith to believe, draw you to Jesus Christ, and for the first time, the gospel made sense. For the first time, salvation and redemption and the cross and all of that made sense. And your sin also made sense to you of how evil and wicked it is and how it separates you from God and will send you to hell. And you confessed Jesus as Lord and submitted to him. And you did that because God made an appearance in your life through his word, through the presentation of the gospel and through the Holy Spirit. So when we think about this, the loving kindness of God appeared whenever Jesus appeared. 2,000 years ago, it appeared when Jesus was born. And then in my life in 1982, it appeared when I quit trusting in myself and my sin, and I trusted in Christ and Christ alone as my Savior and Lord. Jesus put on flesh to die for our sins, and he was raised from the dead, and he ascended to God the Father. First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is in the world already. 
So what is this spirit of Antichrist? How do we test the spirits? And John says you do it by a doctrinal test. Now in John's day, there was a religion, a belief called Gnosticism, and they did not believe that Jesus had come in the flesh. They believed that he came as a phantom, as a ghost, that he was just a spirit who appeared. And so uh, that's what they taught. And so John says, how do we know the difference between a group that's right and a group that's wrong, a church that's right, a church that's wrong? How do we know if somebody prophesying and preaching is right or wrong? What do you do? You check their doctrine. And John takes them when he's talking about the Gnostics right to the core of the matter. If you don't believe that Jesus has come in the flesh, you're not of God. That's the gospel. And so we do the same thing with people today. We take a look at the gospel. Are they preaching work salvation? Are they preaching salvation apart from Christ and apart from grace alone by faith alone? And that word alone is, of course, very, very important because so many people try to add something to what Jesus has done. Jesus plus something else. So that brings us to number two. Jesus alone is the sufficient way to salvation. Now by sufficient, we mean nothing else is necessary. Nothing else can be added to it. I uh, used to doubt my salvation because I doubted the prayer that I prayed. I couldn't remember exactly what I prayed. Oh, how could I possibly be saved? Maybe I didn't pray the right prayer because everybody I had seen had uh, led people in a sinner's prayer and sometimes in the back of a track, repeat this prayer and you'll be saved. Well, what if I didn't get it right? I don't remember what I said. And then I read a book on repentance and it said, if you didn't repent of your sins, you've never been saved. And then I was thrown again. Did I use the word repent? I don't think I did. Maybe I got it wrong. And there were several things like that that would come up till it finally dawned on me that my prayer is not what I'm trusting in. My prayer was simply the expression of my trust, but my trust was in Jesus. And I may not have prayed the perfect prayer, but Jesus did die the perfect death, and that's where I need to camp. That's where I need to uh, uh, rest my assurance of salvation on. I don't live a perfect life, but Jesus did. That's where my faith is. And so when I say Jesus alone is the sufficient way to salvation, you don't add anything to what Jesus did because whatever you do is never going to be enough. It's never going to be right. It's never going to be perfect. But what Jesus did is and will always be absolutely perfect. He is the sufficient way to salvation. And uh, in Titus 3, it says he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness or righteous deeds we have done, but according to his own mercy. In other words, Jesus just didn't get it started and now we've got to finish it. Uh, I remember uh, watching a football game one time where a runner uh, was taking the ball down the field and got really close to the goal and fumbled. And fortunately, there was somebody else from his same team that picked up, the ball was still live, picked it up and ran it in across the goal and uh, touchdown, okay? And some people act like salvation is Jesus getting it started and then handing it off to us. 
That's really what you're saying when you say, trust Jesus, repent of your sins, submit to him as Lord, but oh, don't forget to be baptized. If you don't do it, then you're really not saved. That's not anywhere taught in the Bible. In fact, in uh, Acts 2.38, where it says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Think of it like this. If we were back in the 1800s and there was a criminal named Billy the Kid that uh, was wanted, and we see a wanted poster for it, and it says, wanted for murder, Billy the Kid. Is that a want ad? Is that saying we want, we've got somebody we want to murder and we need Billy the Kid to come do it? Wanted for murder? Well, you could translate it that way. Or you could look at it and more accurately say, wanted because of murder, Billy the Kid. See the difference? When Acts 2.38 says, be baptized for the remission of sin, the best way to translate that is, repent and be baptized because of the remission of sins. Uh, baptism is not a work for salvation, but it is a work of salvation. I don't think that you have to be baptized to be saved, but I sincerely doubt the salvation of anyone who won't submit to baptism. See what I mean? Jesus didn't just get it started and say, now you trust me and pick up the ball or take the baton, whatever metaphor you want to use, and then take it on in and uh, drive it home. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And he meant it. That wasn't just something he hoped for. That was it. So if we add something to salvation, then we are overshadowing Jesus. In other words, if somebody tells me I have to be baptized to be saved, and I've done everything except the baptism, and I die and I go to hell, what happened? I left out the most important part, didn't I? Jesus was obviously not the most important part. The baptism was. Or whatever it is you want to add to it, it always will overshadow the Lord Jesus. And Jesus is the one we glorify and honor. He is the one that is premier, the sufficient Savior. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins, in other words, all of them, in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. By his wounds. Not anything that you have done and not any righteous deed that you have done. Number three, Jesus alone makes us acceptable and gives life. Paul goes on to say in Titus 3 that he did it by the washing of regeneration and renewal. So it's not by rituals that we go through here on earth. It's by the washing of regeneration. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin. Not anything we do or don't do or try to do or attempt to do or anything a priest does or anything anyone else does. It's all Jesus, all about him. He washed us, gave us regeneration. That's a new life and a renewal, a new position, a new standing before God that we didn't have before. So it's not rituals or ceremony or even a church liturgy or anything like that. We are washed by Christ's blood and given new life by his spirit. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, uh, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we obtained it. That's a passive word. It was given to us. And why was it given to us? Not on the basis of anything that we did, but on the basis of what he has done. He is our justification. He is our peace. He is our righteousness. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation and redemption for those of us who have trusted him. And number four, Jesus alone makes it possible for us to have the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on to say in Titus 3 of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us, all of us, richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So the Holy Spirit is given as a result of the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ, and the ascension of Christ. Now let's see, what did I do in that? Uh, Nothing. Someone said that uh, all I did was supply the sin that caused Jesus to have to die. That, That was it. And I was a lost sinner, dead in trespasses and sins, and bound for hell. But Jesus took my sin upon himself, paid for it all in full, was buried, raised from the dead, and ascended to the right hand of God the Father, where he ever lives to make an intercession for me. And he is my advocate before the Father. And because of that, he told his disciples, remember, if I go, I will send back the Holy Spirit for you. So why do I have the Holy Spirit? Why do you have the Holy Spirit? Because of Jesus and Jesus only. Not because you prayed through, not because you went through some ritual, not because somebody poured anointing oil on you or anything like that. All because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice Paul said that the Spirit is poured out on us. We're anointed, just like the anointing oil poured over Aaron that ran down his beard and his collars. We were anointed with the Holy Spirit when we were saved. And notice that it was poured out on us richly, richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, lavished on us. The full measure of the Holy Spirit is given to you. And the Spirit is given through Christ at the time of salvation. Romans chapter 8, 9 through 11 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. In other words, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. You get the full measure of the Spirit. There's no second blessing. There's nothing else added to that. You receive the Spirit of God and are baptized in the Holy Spirit at salvation. If anyone who, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead shall also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Did you catch that? The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. You have the presence of God anywhere you go, 
And in anything you do, good or bad, he never leaves you or forsakes you. And you also have the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, brothers, sisters, if there's anything Satan did not want to happen, it was the resurrection of Christ. And he couldn't prevent that from happening. That is the ultimate miracle, isn't it? The ultimate power of God and the ultimate power of the devil showed up there at that tomb and Satan lost. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. So what can you not overcome? What can you not conquer? What can you not defeat? Well, think about it. You and I, having God living in us, are not to present ourselves as slaves to sin. Romans 6 tells us we are to present ourselves to the Lord. And Romans 12 says, as a living sacrifice. Well, I can't do that. I know you can't, but he can. And he lives in you and he has given you that power. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and lives in all believers. No second-class saints. All of us are indwelt by the Spirit. So in conclusion, just think about this. Anything added to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for our sin perverts the gospel. And Paul said, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, that salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, by the way. Let him be accursed. That's a strong word. Let him go to hell. That's what Paul is saying. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Likewise, to add to the work of Jesus, to keep your... Well, let me not say that yet. I'm not to the scripture yet. I'm reading my part. To add to the work of Jesus, to keep yourself saved or secure salvation is a perversion of the gospel as well. Here we go. Jude 1.1. 1, 1. That's what I was looking for. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are, this is you, you're called, you are beloved in God the Father, and you are kept for Jesus Christ. Now notice when Jude says that, he is telling us that our calling and our belovedness, our love, and also our security all found in Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper cannot save you, and the Lord's Supper will not keep you saved, or anything like that. It's just a memorial. Baptism does not get you saved, and it does not enhance your salvation, and it will not keep you saved. It's an act of obedience and an act of identity with Christ. It's like a soldier being sworn in and then putting on the uniform. Baptism is the uniform. We don't have any ritual. We don't have anything that we do that we add to the gospel. It's all about Jesus. And we're called and we're loved and we're kept by him in all of this. So when we say no, salvation is not of works, we have to understand it in not just our justification, 
but it's also true in keeping us saved or getting us to heaven. There's nothing we do that we can add to it, and there's nothing we can do to secure ourselves in Christ. We are secure in him because of what he has done. So I hope that clears up some things for you. I hope that fortifies some things for you. And uh, yeah, it does matter what you believe and what church you go to, because we want to be gospel-centered people focused upon Christ and Christ alone and his good news that he is the one who paid the price for our sins and he is the one who actually keeps us saved. We'll talk more about some of those things later on in this catechism, but right now, that's where we're going. And may God bless you as you study this out for yourself and find security in the Lord and what he has done for you and only in that. God bless.